0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Our reading this evening is John 4, verses 43 to 54. It can be found on page 1067 of the Church Bibles. Page 1067. John 4, 43 to 54. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, "'Sir, come down before my child dies.' "'Go,' Jesus replied. "'Your son will live.'" The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, They said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.:
0: Jenny, thank you very much. Please do keep that passage open in front of you as we look at it together. And uh, let me just before we begin, just, uh, just add my welcome uh, to that of Steph's earlier. It's lovely to see uh, so many people here. Mindful that we had a, a, a wonderful day yesterday of him reports this great wedding. And so I know some will be here um, in support of that, but you're most welcome. And uh, so let's, uh, let's just concentrate, let's, let's give ourselves to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at this passage together. Our Father in heaven, come now and bless us as we meet together in your name. Give us a sense, we ask, of your presence. Open up your word to us, we pray, and hide it within our hearts that we might be grown that we might grow in faith for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, many of you will know of George Muller, um, 18th-century evangelist who uh, who ran orphanages. A man of great faith, and he once said this: "Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where humanity's power ends." Now, John has brought us full circle. The narrative began, remember back there in in the first verse of chapter two, in Cana of Galilee. And we're now once again back in Cana. And the first sign or miracle of Jesus was performed in Cana, that transforming of water into wine at the wedding feast. And now in Cana, we'll see a second sign is to be performed. I feel like it's a sort of a, a bookend, for this portion of John's gospel. And you'll remember right at the very beginning, six weeks ago, now I reminded you that the whole message of the gospel of John is summed up in a purpose statement right at the very end. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. In verse 31 we read, But these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So this whole section from chapter 2 to the end of chapter 4, as we've seen, has been John unpacking what it is for us to believe. What it is for us to believe in Jesus, that we may have life. And we've seen that Jesus has received a mixed reception. In Jerusalem at the Passover The crowds in chapter 2, verse 23 to 25, refused to believe that Jesus was anything more than just a mere miracle worker. Nicodemus, the Old Testament Jewish scholar, he acknowledged that Jesus was a teacher from God because of the miracles, but he insisted that he was nothing more, nothing more again than a mere miracle worker. But in stark contrast to that, we saw last week how the Samaritan woman comes to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And then the Samaritan people, they put their faith in Jesus and they declare that he is the Savior of the world. Now by now, you will have realized, if you've been tracking with this series, there is one question that keeps arising. How do we believe? How do we receive this new life? And Jesus, throughout these chapters, has been giving us word pictures in order to answer that question. So we get this this new life by being born again. We get it by coming to Jesus and asking for the living water. And here in our passage this evening, John answers the question in no unmistakable way. We receive new life by coming to Jesus Christ by faith in his word. See, what we have this evening is a beautiful example of the pilgrimage of one man, the progress of faith of the soul of one particular individual. And I want to trace that in three stages. First of all, we see that this man has faith in the miracle working power of Jesus. Now, we saw Jesus in Samaria last week, and when he had this amazing encounter with the woman at the well and that led to this sort of spiritual awakening in that area and this unexpected spiritual harvest among the Samaritans. And one imagines this must have been immensely encouraging for Jesus and the disciples given the response he'd already been receiving from his own people. And we see there in verse 43 that Jesus resumes his trip that he began back in verse 3 of chapter 4, and he leaves Samaria traveling north for Galilee. And when Jesus arrives in Galilee, we are told, verse 45, the Galileans welcomed him. But in what sense did they welcome him? In what way did his own people welcome him? See, did they welcome him in the way uh, that the Samaritans had with open hands and with faith? Now, is it me, or do you also detect when you read through this passage that John is being somewhat ironic here when he says the Galileans welcomed Jesus? It's certainly what I found myself thinking after reading this passage through two or three times. And I want to suggest to you that John gives us at least two clues that suggest that he is being ironic when he says that the Galileans welcomed him. First, we see, notice that after Jesus arrives in Galilee, verse 43, and before verse 45 when he says the Galileans welcomed him, John inserts into the narrative, almost without explanation, this rather intriguing proverb. Notice verse 44. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. It's a a proverb that leaves us thinking that as far as John, the writer of this gospel, was concerned, Jesus did not get the honor and the welcome that he deserved. Yes, he's certainly welcomed as a miracle worker for sure, but is he welcomed as the Messiah or as the Savior of the world? The second clue that John is being somewhat ironic here about this welcome comes at the end of verse 45. Let me read it to you. When Jesus arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Now that is an intriguing clue. See, John tells us that the Galileans who welcomed him were the same Galileans who had been up at the Passover festival in John chapter 2, verse 23 to 25. Those, if you remember, with the, the spurious faith... Those who thought Jesus was no more than just a mere miracle worker. Those who Jesus would not entrust himself to. Those people are now home, but they remembered those miracles Jesus did in Jerusalem. Of course, of course they're excited at the thought of Jesus' arrival. You know, what other magic tricks is Jesus going to do amongst us? It's the kind of welcome that you give a a performing entertainer who has just come into town. It was mere belief in the miracle working power of Jesus and no more. There's no recognition, is there, in this welcome that Jesus was unique, that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, that he deserved honor and worship. A prophet has no honor and worship, no honor in his own town. And yet, as Jesus has revealed in response to the faith of the Samaritan woman, Jesus is far more than just a mere miracle worker. And that is why it seems to me that John is being somewhat insincere here when he says the Galileans welcomed him. So this then is our context. And we come now to the man in our story. And it seems that while he wasn't necessarily in Jerusalem at the Passover, he may have been, but it's not explicit, it's not clear, he nevertheless, he still comes with the same kind of faith, mere belief in the miracle working power of Jesus, and no more. Now look with me at how the text is structured. It's structured, you see, in a way to emphasize the kind of faith this man comes to Jesus with. So verse 46, Jesus is back in Cana at the site of his first miracle. Verse 47, this man travels from Capernaum to ask Jesus to perform a miracle. Verse 48, Jesus responds to him and to everyone else who is listening with a rebuke. Unless you people see miracles, you will never believe. You see? See, John is presenting this man as another typical Jewish believer. It's the same old, same old. Another person, even if his reasons for doing so are understandable. I mean, his son's not well. Nevertheless, this is another person who is coming to Jesus in the first place because he can perform miracles. Now, we can obviously read verse 48 as as a sweeping rebuke. You know, unless you people see miracles, you will never believe. But it could also, however, be seen as an invitation to this man to really believe who Jesus is. So we see then that this man comes to Jesus with mere belief in the miracle working power of Jesus. That's where he starts. It's a low level of faith and it's rooted in desperateness. It's belief in simply what Jesus could do. We now see his faith growing. It grows from what Jesus could do to trusting in what Jesus said. We see a deeper level of faith. It's faith in the word of Jesus. Now, we've no doubt already picked up that our main protagonist in this story, this man, is a royal official, or as the King James Version puts it, he's a nobleman. He's literally the king's man. He would have been part of the, the royal court of Antipas, Herod of Antipas, who ruled throughout the area during Jesus' ministry. Famous, of course, for having John the Baptist uh, killed, having his head removed. Uh, and this man was uh, part of the, of the governing class of Galilee. And we see it here in the text that this man is seriously ill, uh, and he's dying. He lives in Capernaum, and that's about 20 miles or so, uh, sort of, we're taking uh, over sort of 20 miles from Capernaum to, to, to Cana. Uh, that's not far by car, but on thought that's a fair distance to travel. And this man, as soon as he hears that Jesus is back in Cana of Galilee, he makes haste to get there. You see, he wants to be where Jesus is. Now, what is striking is that the circumstances in this man's life have almost certainly radically changed the priorities of his life. I mean, his young son is tossing with a fever and about to die. Now, every parent has experienced something of the helplessness of this. And, you know, that, that the cold clutch of fear that grips the heart as you watch your, your little boy or your little girl tossing in fever. And he's a nobleman. And it's hard not to imagine that he has not made all sorts of provisions for his son, for the, for the welfare of his son. But now, like the, like the people at the wedding, like, like Nicodemus, like the woman at the well, he's come to appreciate that no earthly provision is adequate for his son's actual needs. There is a, a God-shaped void in his life. And there is a God-shaped void in his son's life. You know, extremes will do that for you. I mean, this, is a, this is an urgent situation. His son is dying and this nobleman who, who no doubt was in the, the habit, I suppose, of, of giving orders has been reduced to a beggar. Do you see that? Verse 47. He went to Jesus and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. You know, in many ways, that is what prayer is. Often like. Prayer reduces each one of us to be beggars, to to come with empty hands and to plead at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've already seen is this man's, Jesus' initial response to this man, verse 48, which honestly, given the urgency of the man's need and given also that the man begs Jesus, don't you think seems rather cruel? Here is this man who is begging Jesus to come before it's too late. He's evidently desperate. But Jesus holds him at arm's length. It's actually even worse than that. He even rebukes him for coming, looking for a miracle, saying, You come to me because I am able to work a miracle, but it's not what I'm here for. I'm not here, Jesus is saying, to satisfy your spectator interest. You know, I'm not some visiting entertainer. I'm here as your Savior so that you may recognize what you most need is a Savior. What your son most needs is a Savior. You see, Jesus was burdened in his exchange and in his conversations with the the Jewish people and with his own people. He was burdened to make sure that those to whom he gave himself weren't merely spectators. But there were those rather who were trusting in him through faith. And we understand, of course, what's happening here. Because we've experienced the same in our relationship with Christ. That sometimes he makes us wait and he tests us. That sometimes before he gives us the answer that we desire, he puts us on hold. Don't you hate that? You make the phone call. You've been ringing and ringing and ringing. Finally, someone at the bank picks up. And they say to you, Hello there, do you mind if I just put you on hold? And your immediate response is, Yes, I do mind. (laughs) Don't put me on hold. I've spent ages trying to get hold of you. And yet Jesus, sometimes when we come to him, crying out to him, he puts us on hold. When we go with our requests, he's testing. You know, a loved one is in need, and you fly to Jesus and pray, and he says, wait a minute. I've got something that you need to learn first. And this is what seems to be happening here. It's actually not Jesus being cruel. It's Jesus' way of of inviting this man into a, a deeper understanding of Christ, and ultimately a deeper faith. Notice what happens. The royal official, he won't be put off. Even though we know that it's God who is putting off, he's not perturbed. Do you see that? There's a stickability in his faith. There's perseverance in his faith. God has actually been using, you see, this experience of adversity in order to bring him to see that only one thing matters. I want you to notice the change in the language of this man between the first appeal and the second appeal, between verse 47 and verse 49. Now, his first appeal goes like this. Jesus, come and heal my son because he's close to death. Effectively, Jesus, come and heal, come and do a miracle. See that? Well, look at the second appeal in verse 49, that was verse 47, this is verse 49. Come before my child dies. Jesus, come. Do you notice there what's missing? There's no request for Jesus to heal his son. It's just Jesus, come. Now look, there may be absolutely nothing in it. I may be totally wrong. But I rather think that John is hinting to us that something has sharpened in the sense of priority in this nobleman. See, before this little boy, before his little boy dies, he must have Jesus. He must believe and have eternal life. You See, I think here that John is, is drawing that out as he alludes to, to the growing of this man's faith in Jesus. It's a second appeal focused not on the signs, not on the miracle, but on Jesus and his child's need of faith in Jesus. You know, this test of faith remains just as real for us today. Honestly, what do we want most for our children? A good education, successful career, a nice property, good health. Or is it that they might have Jesus, that they might have life, that they might know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? And if we needed conclusive evidence of this man's growing faith, we're given it in the next verse with a remarkable expression of faith. The man says to Jesus, Come down before my child dies. And Jesus replies to such faith, faith, verse 50, Go, your son will live. Or as the the Greek has it, go, your son is living. See, the word of promise, your son is living, is a word of power. And these words from Jesus are of such interest because we read verse 50, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Or or literally in the Greek, and let me say to you, this is a shocking omission from the NIV translators. The man believed the word of Jesus and departed. And by doing so, he demonstrates that unlike most Galileans, he is not simply interested in miracles. Don't miss miss this. This is striking. See, in this statement, the man believed the word of Jesus, actually what we have here is the clearest expression of faith in all the New Testament. See, what is faith, ultimately? What is it? It is believing in the word of Jesus. It is trusting in what Jesus says. It's why we give ourselves to such careful handling of God's word. For here, in our hand, we have the words of Jesus to trust and obey. In this exchange, then, we have seen that this father is growing in his faith. We see next that Jesus gives him the chance to come to a full realization of faith. To believe not only on what Jesus could do, the miracle, to believe not only on what Jesus said, his word, but to believe on who Jesus is, to have faith in the person of Jesus. In verse 51, this man is on his way home. Do you see that? He stopped pleading with and begging Jesus to act according to what he thought was the right way to handle the situation. But he's accepted Jesus' own way of acting. Now I suspect, imagine, put yourself in in this man's shoes. I suspect that if he's anything like you and me, he went away still troubled with doubts. He probably said to himself as he journeyed back home, why did I leave Jesus? I could have commanded him to come, he would have had to. If I'd just pressed him a little, he would have come down, I'm sure. But even with those thoughts going through his head, you notice he went? And that is the point. Though he was uncertain, nevertheless he went. He obeyed the word of Jesus. Though his mind was still troubled with doubt. You see, faith is not what we feel it's what we do. You can imagine the scene, can't you? It's very easy to do so. The man's a, a few miles from, from home. The servants have heard that he's come coming. They've gone out to, to greet him, and they meet him with this glorious news. Your son is living. The very same words, notice, that Jesus used to the Father. And he immediately inquires at what time? At what time? At what time? Tell me, what time was my, my son restored to health? And we see it was at 1 in the after two, afternoon, verse 52. It dawns on him, of course, that that is the precise moment when Jesus has said to him, Go, your son lives. And at that very moment, the, the fever suddenly left the boy and he began to mend. No laying on of hands or anointing with oil. Just a, just a sovereign word from the Creator King. That's all it took. That's all it took for the for the creation itself for the world for the universe to come into being God spoke and it came to pass and that's all it's ever taken to form one new creature in Jesus Christ for Christ to speak the word and it is done At the same hour from a distance of 20 miles quite honestly it might well have been 200 light years it would have made no difference for Jesus to speak the word from the throne of God and it is done see here is a a beautiful and touching example of how Jesus comes into the life of a family how Jesus brings his saving presence, how Jesus causes faith to emerge and grow and become visible and become strong and become persistent in one family. You see, it's in this moment when the man discovers that his son was healed at the very hour that Jesus had spoken that there broke upon him a new realization. Not of what Jesus could do, not even of what Jesus said but of who Jesus was. That he had authority over all illness, that he was not limited by distance or time, that he had power in areas beyond the knowledge and reach of men, that he operated in the realm of the impossible. When the man understands that, we read verse 53, he believed and all his household with him. He believed in the person of Jesus and his little boy is restored to life. In fact, the whole family are so overwhelmed by his story and his testimony that they receive new life. It's a a pictorial representation. It's John chapter 20 verse 31 that by believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, you may have life in his name. My dear friend, we come to the end of this Short series in John's Gospel. And week in, week out, you've heard me appeal to you. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you reached out to Him and asked Him to hear your heart cry? Do you know that you are a sinner? Do you know that you're not good enough for Him? Do you know that He loves you through and through? Do you know that He knows you by name? Do you know, do you know that He knew you? Even before you were seed in your mummy's womb, even before you were just a little fetus, that he had his name, he knew you, and he had his hand upon you. And his greatest longing for you, and he's been watching you day in, day out, throughout the days of your life, as he's watched you grow up. He saw you as a toddler. He saw your first day in school. He saw the day you went to high school. For some of you, he saw you the first day you started work. For some of you, he's known that you have gone all the way through your life and you've now retired. And the thing that he's waiting for and longing for is the day that you reach out to him and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I need you. Give me, give me that life, that fresh water that we heard about last week. Would you do that even this evening? Would you cry out to God for the very first time and say, yes, I know my mum and dad are Christians. Yes, I know all of this, but I've never yet put my faith in him. Why not tonight? For some of us, this story has reminded us that we are in the hands of the one who does not always answer our prayers the way we expect But in doing so, he lifts us to a higher awareness of who he is. Of his authority and power in the world and in life. And our faith as a result of wrestling with God in prayer, bringing a heartfelt calling out to him. In that sense, it, it develops within us a stronger, cleaner and truer faith. So as we conclude, let me say to you that I hope you are encouraged in faith. That you are ready to trust the Lord for the circumstances in which you find yourselves this week. You go back into work tomorrow knowing that he is responsive, but not always in the way that you ask him. And ultimately the reason is because he sees more clearly than you do. And he knows what you need So put your trust in him. He's got the situation. Amen. Well, as the muse has come up, let's, uh, let's have a few moments in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your words are living and true, sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray that you would write it on our heart that we might see Jesus and him alone. Give us ever deepening faith, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.